Welcome to ROH Strong Podcast. Here is your host, Kevin Eck. What's up, Honor Nation? Welcome to episode 22 of the ROH Strong Podcast, the official podcast of Ring of Honor Wrestling. My guest has won numerous championships all over the world, including Ring of Honor, New Japan Pro Wrestling, and CMLL, something that only two other men have done, winning titles in those three promotions. He is the king of sneaky style, Rocky Romero. Rocky, welcome to the show. In my former days, I was a king. But now I look forward to the future as I send you crying down that road of Ah, patch wearing, nefariously daring, notorious, much more than glorious. How's it going? It's going I'm, I'm excited to be here. Yeah, no, I'm good. I'm good. I'm uh, just uh, having some morning coffee, you know, just relaxing, getting the getting the day started, you know. Well, it's morning where you are. It's afternoon where I am. So I right, right, appreciate right. you getting up uh, early if this is early for you. I mean, eh. <laughs> <laughs> Kinda, no, okay. not really, no, no, no. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm an older man now, so I'm an early riser. You know, I used oh, to be. Yeah. I, I'd be getting up around, uh, you know, one, two p.m. But, uh, you know, especially these days, you know, not, yes. you know, a lot yeah. of stuff to do during the day, not enough time. Well, I know that you came back to the ring uh, recently. Actually, you you came back in in June, so you didn't have quite as long as a layoff as as some other wrestlers have had during this pandemic who really haven't worked since February and still haven't uh, come back yet. So I guess my question is you had a little less than four months off. Uh, then you had some matches in new Japan in California. How was it for you having that break and then getting back in the ring? I mean, having, you know, it, it's mixed emotions, you know, because obviously getting, you know, something that you love kind of taken away from you in the circumstances that it did, uh, you know, never feels exactly great. But on the other hand, I, I was thinking about it and it was like, oh, wow, this is the first like long-term layoff I've had since probably 2005 or 2006 when I, when I had a shoulder injury. So, I mean, I've just been going and going and going. So like having the, you know, three, four months off of like no wrestling at all was like, kind of good for me and good for my body and good for my, you know, mental capacity. Cause it, you know, it was just kind of a, it was a break exactly what it was. And I think uh, I needed it. And um, it also gave me some, some uh, time to explore some other things that I, you know, I'm into, you know, just be, out of, besides the wrestling stuff, you know, I worked on some music and I, um, uh, I got a podcast with my, my two buddies, Carl Anderson, Lou Gallows talking shop. And, um, so it kind of gave me that that kind of opening and freedom to do other stuff, and and uh, it's been good. It's been very good for me. How was it as far as kind of like um, the stop and start aspect of it? Which, like I said, you came back in June, then you took another little break, then came back in August for the uh, Pure Tournament. Um, obviously, repetition is key for a wrestler. Was that as far as your body goes? What I was what I'm you know your body gets used to the bumps. Was the stop and start aspect at all a factor? You know, uh, not really only, only because like the first break was, uh, but what I did was I, you know, luckily we have a dojo here in Los Angeles and it's just up the road for me. So I was able to, to get in there with the young lions, um, our LA dojo young lions and, and work out every, you know, everybody's 
testing beforehand and everything. So, um, you know, it's a small group of people. So we have a gym and able to use it and, and kind of, uh, you know, stay in shape as, as much as I can, you know, um, and then just get in the ring. You know, the, the thing that, that hurt the most was, was hitting the ropes again after four or five months. But your body gets used to it again and, and just pick up right where I've been doing it for so long. It's like right. you just click it on, you know, you flip the switch and, and you're pretty much there. I mean, the only thing is it's a little harder uh, as I get older to just kind of get in the groove of it for like a second. But then once I'm on, I'm on, you know. So, okay. um, so yeah. So, I, I mean, uh, I think I, I started training for like two weeks before we started doing the, uh, the uh, New Japan uh, LA shows. And I was right back in the swing of things. I mean, pretty, pretty easily after that. I mean, we're, and we're doing pretty intensive training too, you know? So it's not like, uh, you know, it's just like, you know, getting in there and hitting the ropes a couple of times and then going home, you know? Gotcha. Well, I talked about um, in August, I know you did the uh, New Japan Strong Show. Uh, we've had some ROH talent on those shows, guys like Flip Gordon, PJ Black, Brody King. Uh, for the fans listening to this podcast who may not be familiar, can you talk about what the... Uh, New Japan Strong shows are all about? Yeah, New Japan Strong, it's a, um, it's basically a, a small studio show that we're doing, uh, New Japan Pro Wrestling is producing. So take it, if you take new, the New Japan product and just kind of strip it all away, you know, I mean, really it's something like similar to the Pure Tournament and the fact that it's just down to the essentials of professional wrestling. And, uh, you know, um, and we, we filmed it in a, in a small studio out here in, in Los Angeles. And it, and it airs every Friday night, every single Friday night, 7 p.m. P, uh, Pacific and 10 p.m. Eastern. Yeah, it's very cool. I, were you a fan of like the studio wrestling growing up? You know, I mean, I, no, I, because I didn't really get to, to watch it where I grew up, you know, like, yeah, we didn't really have NWA or any of the, the, you know, Florida Championship Wrestling, you know, growing up in Los Angeles. My first introduction to professional wrestling was WWF um, Superstars. But, I mean, that was essentially, right, was the sim, like the sa- almost the same kind of format, just it was in a big, you know, arena, you know. Right. So, so um, but I mean, like, like, yeah, the format was there, but I, I watch it back, you know, now or in the last couple of years and, and really watch, you know, some of the studio stuff. And, and there's just so much excitement going on. And there's something that you just can't replicate that because you're in such a, a small space, you know, and uh, there's just a certain energy and there's a lot of lively people, you know, and it's, it's, I don't know, it's cool. It's cool. It's, it's, it's been fun to, um, to be a part of, you know, cause it, it definitely is different, you know? Well, obviously I want to talk to you about the uh, ring of honor pure tournament, uh, we're not going to give away any spoilers, but we do know that you face David Finley in the first round. That match actually airs this weekend on the Ring of Honor Wrestling TV show. That's the weekend of September 19th. So check your local listings, or obviously you can watch it on ROHWrestling.com starting Monday uh, the 21st. But I wanted to ask you, though, you're a three-time former Ring of Honor World Tag Team Champion, but you never held a singles title in Ring of Honor. 20 plus years into your career now, what would that mean to you to, uh, to actually win the pure championship? You know, it'd mean, it'd mean the world to me. Um, you know, I, I've done the tag stuff for, you know, for so long, you know, with so many different, uh, tag, you know, tag team partners that I just feel like winning a really major singles title would be like the icing on the cake, you know, for me. And, um, I don't know. I feel like maybe all the hard work that I put in, 
you know, 20 plus years that it would just be like all culminating to that one moment, that one title. I mean, even if I just won it and then lost it on the first defense, you know what I'm saying? Like it, right. it would just, it, it would be something that would be mega to me. Just, just really, really, I don't know. Just something that, that I could, I don't know. I, sometimes I feel like even though I've been wrestling for so long and there's a lot of people who know who I am, but there's still a, a vast majority that don't, you know, and, and maybe sometimes I feel under like unappreciated or under, undervalued when it comes to my wrestling. So I feel like, I don't know, maybe a, a, like a singles title now while, you know, wrestling is hot again and, and people care about it, that it would just like mean something, you know, I feel like my, my, my moment was too soon. You know, <laughs> you know, to like it happened when nobody was watching, you know. <laughs> well, uh, we had your opponent in the pure tournament, David Finley, on the show uh, a couple weeks ago. And uh, I know that one of his early singles matches in New Japan was actually against you in the best of the Super Juniors tournament back in 2015. Now, that was before he began training in the New Japan dojo and became a young lion. So I guess that my question to you is, did you see something in Finley back then in 2015? Did you think he'd make it as a, a young lion? Because obviously that's not, it's not for everybody and it's not an easy thing to do. Okay. So that's funny. Cause I, I definitely thought that there was something about him. Right. And, and you can't be a fourth generation wrestler and not have something about you. Right. Like, like the way that you walked in the way that he was prepped, it was like, it was organic. It was natural. It was like, it was already in his DNA. You know, you could see that, you know, just in the way he moves, like the little things that uh, fans don't really notice that, uh, you know, you got to be like a seasoned vet to kind of really understand, uh, you know, he had these qualities. Did I think that mentally he was ready for the dojo? No, I, I definitely didn't think that, that mentally. And not that I thought he was going to be like, a, like he was going to quit or run away in the middle of the night like sometimes as they do. Um, but uh, I, I just, I did, I wasn't really sure, you know, I wasn't really sure that his heart was completely um, like he was willing to do whatever it takes, you know, right. I feel like, like maybe, you know, he, he kind of came into professional wrestling as a fourth generation wrestler. And uh, maybe that, you know, it was easy for him, right? The, the in-ring was easy for him. He could easily do all the stuff, you know, he was, he was already naturally gifted and talented. So then, that's just one small part of it, you know, um, the, the, really the, the mental fortitude and the, and the heart is what really matters, you know, and especially in the dojo. And I think that I'm glad that he did that route because I feel like that's what got instilled in him. And, uh, and I still think that even when he graduated from the dojo, he thought like, Oh, okay, cool. Well now it's, now it's time for me to become a, you know, a star. Like it just happens. Right. It's like, Oh, and it's like, no, the key's, aren't handed to you. You still have to work for it, you know? And then I think um, there was a switch somewhere within the last, I would say probably year, year or so after, after his shoulder injury, I would say that there was a switch that was complete, that completely flipped with him where he realized like, Oh, it's not going to be given to me. I have to take it. Right. And I feel like uh, that that's the Finland that you're seeing now. And, um, and I, I think it, he needed to, he needed wrestling to get taken away. You know, he needed, he needed to, to have the, the shoulder injury and it to be all taken away. He needed to watch the rise of his dojo mates, Juice Robinson and, and, uh, and Jay White, uh, you know, 
fight for you know the U.S. championship. Jay, you know, becoming IWGP heavyweight champion, and and him not. Right. I think he, you know, I think he needed that, and that what kind of woke him up. So when he got, you know, his shoulder injury, he got hurt. He used that time to rehab to get into great shape. I mean, look how, look how much you know he he came into this whole pure tournament in in phenomenal shape. Really took you know the quarantine time and made it useful, and made just complete changes. You know, and uh, and and I respect that. And uh, and and now he's not like, I you know I would say I, I used to see him as like oh Finley, uh, the kid. You know, but now I f- I feel like he's like Finley. Oh, he's my peer. You know, completely. You know, and I and I respect that. I respect that what he's done over the last year or so, building himself up because it's not easy. You know, the the biggest opponent you have is the person that sits right in front of you in that mirror every day. You know, absolutely. And that's got to be a that's obviously the hugest compliment, I guess, a, a guy like Finley can have is a vet like yourself to say, "Hey, I now see you as a peer." Uh, so you saw a big change from the guy that you faced in the Pure Tournament from the guy you faced in 2015. Night and day, man. Wow. Night and day. Well, no, we're all definitely looking forward to that match for sure. I uh, just want to ask you about uh, the experience of wrestling in the Pure Tournament and also for the NJPW Strong Shows in front of an empty arena. How strange was that? You know, uh, it is strange. Because I would say maybe early on in my career, it wouldn't be strange because I'd be used to wrestling in front of, you know, 15 people. I mean, my debut match was like in front of 30 people and 10 of them were, were my family and friends, you know? <laughs> so, um, you know, uh, you know, it was a little strange because now I'm so used to, you know, a thousand, you know, a thousand people is like, oh yeah. Oh yeah. That's like, you know, oh yeah, of course. <laughs> that's like a just a house show you know yeah cool you know and then earlier in the year we do um wrestle kingdom we have seventy thousand, seventy plus thousand over over two days last year msg sold out you know 14 15 000. so it's like you you now you're in front of you know like four or five staff members and like uh you know you're just you just thank god you're you're wishing the announcers were closer the commentators so that you know like you can just fill up the space you know um and the so the first match or so it was a little weird but then it kind of like you just it, it, like while you're in there it's just like what okay well what is the important part oh it's my opponent i forgot because i was distracted by all this other stuff before right so now it's just like purely on the person that you're wrestling everything you know so um so your focus kind of goes there and um, I don't know. It's something raw about it, though, too, you know, and, and something that I enjoyed because I, you didn't have to worry about that other thing, you know, that other uh, person filling the, the space, you know, or, or taking your attention, which, was, you know, usually is the audience. And you can just like put it all on the opponent. And uh, I don't know, there's something pure and kind of raw about it. And I, I don't know, I, I, I enjoy that. I don't I'm not. It doesn't like freak me out or anything like I'm not a performer who necessarily needs the people, you know, that's just an enhancement for me, you know, like, like uh, there's some wrestlers say like a Hulk Hogan or like, you know, or say like um, even a Hiroshi Tanahashi, you know, or somebody like that, who's, who's really a public performer, you know, right. Uh, And or a public wrestler, not, but that's not me, you know, that's really not ever been my style. I like to play, you know, I like to, 
uh, entice the audience, you know, but I don't, I don't, that's not my, always my, my main focus or I don't, I don't need that. I just reverted back to the old Rocky Romero, the guy that um, you'll see in the promo packages for, for the pure tournament, the guy that, you know, came to ring of honor and in, in Oh four and, you know, was just kicking people and, you know, submitting people and, and just reverted back to that guy, you know, right back to the basics. You never got to wrestle for the pure tournament back in the day, did you? I didn't. I didn't. I should have though. That was <laughs> somebody's bad. <laughs> I mean, for real. Well, I think I would have. I would. I would have been great in it. I mean, that was my. That was my stuff. You know, because I was always a fan of kick submission suplex. You know, basically like UW. This. I mean, this is kind of like you mixed UWF and and kind of mixed uh, with um, you know the British wrestling style stuff. You know, like. Yeah. So I, I feel like, uh, I mean, obviously, I mean, this is a brainchild of probably somebody like Brian Danielson or somebody like that, you know, like somewhere this came from somewhere. And, and, you know, that was one of my guys, you know, that was a guy that I trained with and spent many years training with in the, in the original LA dojo. And, you know, we would watch, you know, rings and UWF and all the stuff we would like be like, Oh, I got this match of this, you know, and I'd be like, Oh, I got this match, you know, and then we'd like watch there, you know, while we're eating Chonko or whatever. And, <laughs> And, uh, and we talk about it. So I feel like, you know, this is some, somewhere, this was kind of that brainchild originally um, from one of those guys or like a Samoa Joe or somebody, um, you know, which are all my guys, you know, so yep. uh, all the guys I trained with. So I don't know, like, like, I just feel like it was weird that I, for some reason I wasn't, but I mean, I, I don't know, maybe I was busy. I was doing Black Tiger. I don't, I don't really know. I'd have to look at the dates and try to figure it all out, but who wants to do that? <laughs> well, hey, the bottom line is 16 years later, better late than never, you got, yeah, right. you got your shot at the pure title, right? Yes. Yes. Six, yeah, better late than never. <laughs> Just a little older, but wiser. Exactly. Uh, you know, I wish I could move like, a, like I did 16 years ago. <laughs> um, but um, no, I, I tell people I, though, that, that you are a veteran and you've been around 20 plus years, but you also started very, very young. I, I did. I yeah, did. Not I, an old, you're not old by any stretch of the imagination. Well, yeah, that's, I might, <laughs> that's not what my wife says, <laughs> but, but uh, no, no, I, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm fortunate and grateful that I get the opportunity now, like you said, better late than ever, because it is something that's, you know, something that I was interested in when I was a young man, it went away. I had all, I just started doing other stuff, you know, and then I kind of forgot about it. And then to have it come into your life and the, it, you know, it's presented to you, especially during this time is like, Whoa, okay, cool. Okay. I need to, now I need to prepare for this a bit, you know, like I need to, I need to get in the right mental state. I need to do what I can physically in the short amount of time to get it, you know, into shape and, and, uh, and, and treat it like if it's, you know, Tyson's comeback, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But for me, it, it, it's just as important. It's, it feels like that because it's like, not only have, but do you have like this first match with, with Finley, but how far forward do you look? You know, like, okay, can I, can I, can I picture myself going all the way, excuse me, all the way to the end, you know, who am I going to have to fight? You know, who am I going to get to have to wrestle against? I mean, there's like great names, Jay Lethal, there's, uh, Jonathan Gresham, you know, like there's a, there's amazing, amazing wrestlers. And the whole time I'm thinking like, okay, can I even go with those guys? I mean, can I truly go with those guys? Like now, like, you know, the guy who's been a manager for the last, you know, almost two, two, three years. It's like, 
okay, well, I got to strap in. I got to go back to the base. Got to remember what, what just cool. I don't got to worry about the audience. Take that factor. out. Okay. What else do I got to do? Okay. I gotta, I gotta like, I'm constantly like, uh, questioning myself, you know, every right. step of the way, but I, but I'm just like, okay, you got to do this. This is what you need. I mean, this, you start to think about like, okay, what do you want your legacy to be? And it's like, oh, great. You got all these tag team champions, but championships, you know, people have called me like a journeyman. I hate when people call me a journeyman. I despise that, that, uh, you know, not, nothing against people who, who are, but it's like, dude, I'm a champion. Former, right. like many, like so many championships. I've won so many championships. I can't even name them all, you know? They, you know, when they said like, oh, you're Ring of Honor Tag Team Champion three times, I'm like, I was, <laughs> you know, because like, like, it's just, it's, this is over 20 years, you know, I mean, this is a long time. So it's like, it's like, oh, wow. Yeah, I guess I was three times. I thought it was two, you know, like, you're just trying to remember the, you know, like it, so much has happened. But I, I, I hate when people say like, oh, he's a journeyman. So it'd be like, oh, the journeyman, you know, got himself in this tournament. And then, oh, is he going to win this thing? It's like, no, man, I want to, I want to win this thing. I, I like, I want to. I want to do something that people remember, you know? Right. And, and like I said earlier, it's like, I, I feel like I came to, you know, just too late to the game. And, you know, all the, all the accolades I have are all from a, a time where people don't remember and don't know, you know? So I feel like this was the moment to like do something for myself, do something big for my family. And, 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 and I don't want them to say journeyman. I wanted them to say champion, you know? Right. Yeah, and I agree with you. I think journeyman does have a negative connotation to it, even if people don't mean it as a um, in that way. But yeah, I think it right. does. I think yeah, like we described you at the beginning of the, of the show. I mean, you're a guy who's won championships all over the world. So um, I don't think that you know necessarily would you know you couldn't categorize someone as a journeyman who has won championships in, like I said, Ring of Honor, New Japan, CMLL, and lots of other places too. Uh, right. I want to ask you about another show, though. You know, we talked about the ROH show, the New Japan show. You were involved in another show that got a lot of buzz, which was Talking Shop Amania, the pay-per-view. Um, how did that show come about? And the second part of that question is, are you surprised at how much buzz it, it created? Okay, I'll start with the, with the last question. Yes, I'm so surprised about how much buzz uh, was created and how many people watched it and just how we were trending, you know, we got up to like number three or something, you know, on Twitter, on uh, trending topics. Um, I think the NBA and UFC were the, were beating us out yeah. <laughs> as they should, you know, but uh, no, I mean, it's crazy. It, it, really the, this thing was, uh, was a bra the brainchild of, of, you know, Doc Gallows who had just gotten released from WWE uh, along with Carl Anderson and we were about four weeks into our podcast of, of talking shop. And all of a sudden he legit calls us and, and is like, I'm going to do a pay-per-view from the backyard, from my backyard. And you guys are either in or out. And we're like, wait, what, what, what are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> and I think, so it's just like one of those things, like uh, the situation happened, right? Like they got released and then, you know, in his mind, it was like, well, you know, what, what's the next step, right? Like, the, you know, you get released from, from your, your job or, or, you know, you get fired or whatever. And it's like, well, what is my next step? What is my next move? I have a family. I have all these things that he's thinking about. And then all of a sudden he comes up with like, 
well, nobody's doing anything right now, right? Like we're in the middle of a pandemic. Uh, you know, everything has kind of stopped. What's something, you know, what is a way to be my most creative? And, you know, Gallows just started saying like, well, I'm going to make a parody professional wrestling pay-per-view and, and I'm going to spoof, you know, all these things that have happened in my life and in wrestling and, and I'm going to spoof, uh, you know, uh, my final match in WWE, which was with The Undertaker uh, and AJ Styles in in the in the Boneyard match, so so basically they 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 just flipped the script, you know, like they were given an egg, and they took that egg and they you know they glossed it up and they added some jewels to it and they turned it into like a Fabergé egg, you know, like they did, <laughs> you know, they did the best that they could, you know, they took lemons uh, and made lemonade, so um, yeah, I mean. And then to see it, I, I definitely think that if we were in another, like if this was like any other time in the world, maybe Talking Shop of Mania wouldn't have been the hit that it was. But, uh, you know, definitely because we were all kind of going through all this together, uh, it really made an opening for this particular type of, uh, you know, parody pay-per-view stuff. And um, I don't know, I'm, 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 I'm so happy with it. I'm scared to do number two if we do do number two uh, because, I, you know, I wonder if we'll be able to top it. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I, ha- I want to do it. <laughs> Just a little, a little nerve wracking, I guess. Well, I think you almost have to. When something's that successful, I think you right. got to gotta follow up on it. Yeah. So now, the, now we're at the point of like, okay, Gals and, and I have said, yes, let's do it. But now we're still trying to convince Carl Anderson to, to say, yes, he keeps telling us no, no, no. <laughs> so, so now that's, that's where we're at right now. Gotcha. <laughs> All right. Well, we've got plenty more to get to. We're just getting started here with Rocky Romero, but we're going to take a quick break and then we'll be back with more with Rocky right after this. Not a journeyman, not a journeyman, a star. Not a journeyman, right a after star, this. champion. Think you know a lot about Ring of Honor? Well, put your knowledge to the test against the top fans and stars of Ring of Honor. That's right, Ring of Honor Trivia returns, and it will be played across Zoom. To join, get your team of 3 to 10 and email rohtrivia at gmail.com. Previous editions have seen near-perfect scores and former world champions, former tag team champions, and the top stars of Ring of Honor compete for Trivia Supremacy. You won't want to miss it. Sign up now, rohtrivia at gmail.com to reserve your spot and your team's spot in this round of Ring of Honor Trivia. All right, we are back on the ROH Strong Podcast. My guest is big wrestling star Rocky Romero, champion all over the world. Uh, let's go back to the uh, to the very beginning, uh, if we can, briefly. You started training at what, 15 years old? Right, right. Yeah, 15 years old, started training. Uh, I debuted at 16 um, in uh, Rialto, California. Now, were your debut. parents always very supportive of this or, or no? You know, my my mom was a little worried in the beginning. My dad was like skeptical, you know, but my mom was like worried just in the fact like, of course, she didn't want me to get hurt, you know, and, and saying like, oh, mom, I want to do professional wrestling and you're 15 years old. She's like, okay. But, but like the only thing that I think she felt like good about was I wasn't really like a person who was like crazy about school or anything like that. So like, I think she was happy that I was doing something that was at least pushing me forward in life, you know? So 
So I was like, she saw that how, how passionate, how crazy I was about wrestling, you know, you know, watching all the pay-per-views in the, you know, mid nineties and, and uh, going over to my friend's house. I'd be like, okay, mom, I'm Sunday. Can you drop me off at my, at my, my buddy Jason's house? And she's like, yeah, yeah. And then she's like, what are you guys going to do? I'm like, we're going to order pizza and, and watch the pay-per-view. I mean, <laughs> that was what we did, you know? So at that time you had WCW and WWE pay-per-views, um, you know, so twice a month. And then there was like an ECW, you know, sprinkled in there sometimes. So, uh, you know, so that was, that was a lot, you know, it's almost like every week you're, you're, you're going to, to watch these events. And, um, so she could see that I was like super into it. Obviously I had posters on my wall and I was collecting stuff and blah, 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 blah. So, um, she knew that I was passionate about it. And then when she saw that I was taking the initiative to, you know, call the, I called the wrestling school, you know, and, you know, Jesse Hernandez, Bill Anderson, they had a school called school hard knocks. It's still there. Uh, Jesse Hernandez runs it. It's a great school. And, um, I, I, she, I went, just put my best foot forward, you know, and I started asking questions like, what do I need to do? And they're like, okay, well, come in on Saturday, bring your mom, you know, she'll sign some papers. She can watch for it. You know, she can watch and see the whole thing, you know? So my mom came, she, she took me down, my friend Jason with me along and, uh, you know, I signed the papers and you know, she's like, okay. She's like watching. So she sees me get in the ring. I'm like hitting the ropes, learning how to tumble, doing stuff. And I'm in heaven, you know, like this is like the greatest day of my life. I just can't believe I'm actually wrestling in a real professional wrestling ring. And uh, you know, and then I just knew from that, that second on that there was nothing that was going to stop me from doing this, you know, like in any kind of way, this is what I, I, I don't know. It just felt like, I was supposed to be there, you know? So, so the next uh, step in your uh, development, you go to the New Japan Dojo in Los Angeles. How old were you then at that point? So now I'm like 19, I believe. I believe I'm this 19. is where you're training with guys like Danielson and, and Samoa Joe, right? Right. I'm training with Danielson and Samoa Joe. So yeah, we, get, we basically, it was, it was so weird. So I, I think we were hanging out with, Ricky Reyes and I were hanging out with Samoa and... Joe's like, oh, uh, this guy, Justin McCulley, is going to come over. You, you know Justin, right? And we're like, oh, yeah. He wrestled as, a, as Justin Sane in uh, UPW, which we're all kind of wrestling for this company called UPW, Rick Bassman's company. And, um, and he, he basically says, oh, yeah. Well, and, and Justin, come, you know, we come, we meet. I think we had dinner or something. And Justin's like, yeah, I'm starting this dojo in Santa Monica, California. It's for New Japan Pro Wrestling and Antonio Inoki. And we're just like, minds are blown. We're like, what? What? You know? And, and he's like, yeah. He's like, if you guys are looking for a place to train, you guys should come and train. We don't have anybody. You know, really, it's just me right now. Me and then, you know, Joe's going to come down. We're like, whoa, okay, cool, you know? So uh, we're there on day one to train, to train. And uh, we walk in and there's nothing. <laughs> there's just, it's just an empty warehouse, you know? They have all the equipment and stuff. You know, it had just gotten delivered and, and, and basically he's like, can you guys help me set this place up? So we start setting it up. You know, we start rolling out the mats, you know, we're building, you know, building the, um, the equipment and helping move, you know, bringing in the weights and everything. So like we help set it up and then it's like, oh, wow, like this is the dojo, you know? And, and uh, so then we start training and then, you know, we didn't really tr train in professional wrestling in the beginning. We were just training like MMA, you know, like we really were like, we we're, you know, Justin was a brown belt in jujitsu at the time. And, uh, 
you know, Enoki was really high at this time. This is like 2001, I believe, 2001, 2002. So, you know, it, it was like that time of uh, the MMA crossover into New Japan, uh, which has always been there, but like really the heavy MMA, like pre-Pride, well, right around Pride getting big. So, um, you know, so that he's, you know, in, in Enoki's mind, that was going to be the future. It was going to be truly be, you know, uh, pride, mixed martial arts, you know, all this was going to take over. So, you know, he wanted New Japan to really reflect that. Even so much that in that year they had um, MMA fights at the Tokyo Dome. They had like two or three MMA fights. So um, anyway, so we were, so yeah, I, so we start training there and then we're just showing up every day, you know, basically looking for an opportunity. We weren't being paid, you know, we were driving about i was driving probably about 40 plus miles every day to santa monica 30 plus miles and uh just every day like a job there by 10 a.m working out by 11 from 11 to like whatever it was four or five uh we had like two sessions a day and driving back home and just looking for an opportunity we did that for like 10 months and then just people started coming in and joining this this kind of like group you know it was just these group of guys training and Inoki would show up, he'd teach us some stuff, you know, he would, uh, he would give us some riddles, <laughs> basically. <laughs> uh, you know, it was, like, it was like training with Mr. Miyagi, like he, like he would just come in and he would like just spit something on you. You'd just be like, what? Whoa, you know? And then, like, and then it was just like wow moments every day. It was like, it was just very interesting. You know, sometimes DDP would show up, you know, one day, you know, uh Joni Lauer would show up you know one day you know Boss Rutten would show up and he would be like let me show you liver kicks you know and then uh you know Steve Blackman I mean just like Wally just these crazy fighters you know Mark Coleman I mean like you never knew who was gonna just pop in you know and it was always somebody and you're just like what you know like like uh the kickboxer Benny the Jet showed. I mean, like it was just crazy, you know. I mean, what, like, a, what, a, what an education, though. Uh, I, it was wild. It was so wild. But I got to so, ask you though about Antonio Inoki. I mean, what was it like training under a legend like that? I mean, was was it intimidating? What was he like? Absolutely intimidating. The whole, like, just super intimidating, and like, and. Like I said, it was training like with the Mr. Miyagi because like he would give you like these and you know, he speaks English, but he doesn't speak like phenomenal English either. So I don't know if it was so much that that the the communication language barrier or just that's who he was. He would just give you like just enough of a nugget to like hold on to and then let you figure it out the rest, you know, the rest for yourself. But it was extremely intimidating. And the fact that like you're with like a like a, when you use the word legend it's like kind of loosely used a bit now but like this is like a legit yeah legend 100%. this is like this is a guy who fought muhammad ali in probably the first mma fight of all time you know like this, this is a guy who in 1974 or 73 or 72 started uh new japan pro wrestling you know, like this is a guy who's been wrestling since the sixties, late sixties, early seventies, you know, I mean, like this is the guy who created strong style, you know, like this is the guy. 
<laughs> so it's it's pretty crazy to to be around him and and train. But what was all what also was cool was we got to see another side of him because he wasn't in Japan. So I feel like he didn't have to be Antonio Inoki. You right. know, like he didn't have to be like the guy who was the senator and you know and 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 almost godlike. He's really almost godlike in Japan, you know. And uh, you know, like he so he got to be like a more like a kind of centered kind of person around us. And it didn't have to be like the big guy, you know? So, which I think was cool too, you know, like, like I remember like driving him one day to go, do you want to go to the grocery store? So I drove him to the grocery, you know, like, like stuff like that, like, like, you know, and, and the whole time. And it, and it, it was cool because to get to know him on that level, because then when we were in Japan, like for example, um, this is much later, but, uh, I'm in the dojo. I think it's like 2005-ish or something. And uh, we're in the middle of a Best of Super Junior. And the Best of Super Junior was cut into two parts. It was like part A. Then there was like a break. And uh, there was a tour in Italy. And then there was part B, like the second part. Then it was going to like come back and we're going to do the second part. So I, w- I was supposed to have like two weeks off in the- between each, each of the um, parts of the tour. And I was just going to stay in Japan at the dojo. And, uh, one night he's out in Rapungi, and I, and they call, he calls me in the, in the dojo. Well, he calls like the dojo and, and one of the young boys pick up. I can't remember who it was, probably somebody super famous now. And he, and, he, and they're like, they're like, Rocky, they were like, I'm in my room. I'm like falling asleep. It's like midnight. And he's like, Oh, Rocky, uh, Inoki-san called and he's, and he wants you to go to Rapungi. I'm like now. And he's like, yeah. And they give me an address. They call a taxi for me. I get dressed. I go down. I jump in the taxi. I show the taxi uh, taxi driver the address. You know, I have no idea where I'm going. The guy goes, and we arrive in Rapungi, and he starts pointing at that building, like whatever it was, like fourth floor or something. I'm like, okay. So I go in. I walk in. Here's this like smoky bar. You know, cigar smoke everywhere. There's about six or seven gentlemen just, you know, drinking scotch and and hanging out. You know. And, uh, and I walk in and then right in the middle of them all, it's right in the center of the whole thing is Antonio Inoki. And he, and he's like, Oh, Rocky. I sit next to him and he, you know, his, his guys are pouring me drinks and stuff. And, uh, and he's like, he's like, Oh, Rocky, you're one of my best students. I'm like, then his English was like, perfect. <laughs> all of a sudden it's like, Whoa. And I'm like, Oh my, I am. I'm like, Oh, thank you. You know? And then we have this conversation and he's like, um, he's like, are you going to Italy? He was just right before the Italy tour. He goes, are you going to Italy? And I was like, no, no, I'm, I'm just going to train and, and wait until the, the tour for the tour to resume. And he's like, uh, he's like, no, no, no. He's like, you're, you're one of the best wrestlers we have. You have, you should be going to Italy. We need to, you know, we need to show our best wrestlers worldwide. This, you know, they were thinking that this was going to be a step into, into making Italy, um, one of their uh, territories, right? So yeah. So then he says, uh, he's like, no, no, you, you gotta be in it. You gotta be going to Italy. So whatever. He hands me my, I think my first cigar I've ever had in my life. You know, I'm, I'm sitting there smoking cigars with, with, with Tony and Oki. I have no idea what's going on. You know, I'm just like, what is going on with my life? Who am I? So then, uh, you know, I got so whatever. I wake up in the dojo the next day. I don't know. Remember how I got there. But I did, and then, uh, and then finally, I'm like, um, I get a phone call. I'm this maybe like 10 a.m. the next day or whatever, and they're like, the it's the office, and they're like, oh, can you give your passport to one of the young lions because 
uh, we need to make your visa so you can go to Italy in like four days. I'm like, what? <laughs> so then, uh, so then I go to Italy and like, that was it. Like, and, like he just made it happen. You know, he was like, he's like the Godfather. He just makes it happen. You know? So like, then I'm on this Italy tour and, uh, I'm just like, then we're actually on the tour and he did like this thing where he came out and, and I think there was like a team 2000 or whatever it was, was beating up the, the Bay faces. And, and he came out and he like started swinging this stick and I got cracked over the, over the head with this stick. And I was one of the good guys. <laughs> so anyway, but yeah, long story short, I mean like, that's just like to, to be able to spend those, those moments with him, like personally uh, outside of and training with him. And, you know, seeing the other side of him of not being just the, you know, legendary, uh, you know, senator, you know, guy and, and, and wrestler, it, it was cool to just kind of, you know, hang around him and, and him to be so open, like for him to call me out, you know, to, you know, to come have drinks with him in, in Rapungi. I mean, amazing, you know, so like just a really cool experience that I'll, that I'll never, ever forget. And, uh, and I'm lucky to have had it, you know. Yeah. I mean, amazing. That is definitely the word for it. I mean, out of all the things you've accomplished in the ring, so many, we've talked about it, but the personal stories like that, To I mean, that experience with Inoki, and I'm sure that was the story you just told was probably one of many. Right. What great life experiences. I mean, that's, I'm sure one day if you write your book, there'll be many chapters devoted to Antonio. Yeah. Yeah. I'm definitely gonna need somebody to, to, to go back and go because there's so much stuff this is the crazy thing it's like i'm telling my wife the other day it's like she's like oh how come you don't remember this moment or this moment i'm like there's so much stuff you have no idea for for most i've been a professional wrestler for most of my life now right and it's like there's so much stuff that has happened every single day that it's hard to keep track of it all you know it really is and i you know i wish i would have you know, had a journal or something, you know, to go through all this stuff, because it's like, this is just, it, it just, this is every day, you know, right. <laughs> it's like, yeah. Yeah. It's well, I'm, I'm, I'm older than you. So I grew up like on the after mags, right. But okay. even a guy like me who um, I didn't have access to, you know, Japanese wrestling or anything like that, but everyone knew who Antonio Inoki was because he was in the after mags. He wrestled at Madison square garden. Um, you know, I remember in, I think it was 79, I read in like the wrestling news, which wasn't an after mag. It was, a, I think it was like a George Napolitano magazine that Antonio Inoki beat Bob Backlund for the WWF title. And, um, you know, I grew up in Baltimore, WWF city. I used to go to, you know, watch Backlund defend the title every month, at the Baltimore Civic Center. And I was like, wow, I remember telling my friends, Backlund lost the belt to Inoki. Like, and we kept waiting for it to have, like, when are we going to see this on TV? And it right. never happened. They thought I was full, right? And years later, when you get smartened up a little bit, you're like, oh, okay. Then you see the politics behind why you never saw this. <laughs> right, right. Um, yeah, that's wild. That's wild. That happened all the time. Yeah. PJ yeah. Black was telling me a, a story recently that he saw, like, whatever his local South African guy had beat Hogan or something back mm-hmm. in the day. And, uh, and but nobody the South Africans were rejoicing like, yeah, we did it world champion. And then never heard about it again. Yeah. I remember Rick Flair. I interviewed Rick Flair one time. Yeah. He probably talked about this in his book, but there was a guy in was Puerto Rico, Jack. Um, is it Vineo? Vineo, I believe is, is his name anyway. Um, 
Rick was, he was defending the NWA title over there and he was like afraid that there was going to be a riot. So he made a call on the fly. Like, I'm just going to do the job here and you're going to win the belt and then we'll figure it out later. And it was one of those things where, wow. Yeah. Eventually the belt was returned or whatever it was, but he was just afraid there would be a riot. So he had to make a call. And of course wow. that's, another, that's not in the NWA history books, right? The Batman right. place, but right. Yeah, it's, only in wrestling, right? Can you have these title changes and things? And then it's like, nah, that never happened. Yeah. No, I I, I, I want that. I miss those days. Yeah, <laughs> I want to go back to that. I'd probably be the champ finally. <laughs> Get my championship. <laughs> yeah, that was, you know, obviously pre-internet and all that. I certainly can't have that nowadays. If anything happens, no, no. We, all, we all know about it for sure. No way. No um, way. But in talking about Japan, you know, you mentioned as a fan, um, you were watching WWF and WCW and even ECW. Uh, was Japan though, when you started getting into the business, you know, when you wanted to make this a, a profession, uh, was Japan a goal for you? Yes. Yeah. It wasn't an immediate goal. Um, obviously when, when you first get, you're like thinking about, Oh, I want to do this as, you know, as a professional wrestler, you're thinking about the heights, right? You're thinking about WWF, you know, or at that time, you know, WWF and, and you know, and that's what, you know, kind of know. But like, as I was really considering this to be like what I wanted to do, especially when I was like around 15, I started training. Then I was like, oh, I could see myself wrestling in ECW. Okay. Maybe I'm not going to wrestle in the WWF. Like, like I was thinking about it. Like, I'm probably not going to wrestle in the WWF because at that time they really didn't want small guys. Right. So then I was like, okay, well I could wrestle in ECW. And then I could wrestle in WCW probably because they have a cruiserweight division. Like this is what my, I'm thinking like, like, a, like a business, you know, at this time. And then I'm thinking, well, how do I get there? And it's like, well, oh, look at like the guys like Jericho and Malenko and, and Guerrero. Okay, what did they do? They, oh, they went to Japan. They went to Mexico. And that opened the door for them to come, you know, into ECW, into WCW. So, uh, yeah. So I was thinking like how could I get there? Okay. Well, I'm going to follow the same route as the guys that I'm look that I look up to, right? Jericho Benoit, uh, you know, uh, Jericho Malenko, you know, Guerrero. So then I, I, um, so I, I, I want to do that. So at this time I st really start to do a deep dive into Japanese wrestling and I stumble upon, uh, the super J cup, the first one. Uh, and I'm just like, my mind is blown. You know, because not like you have this collection of the greatest junior heavyweight wrestlers at the time, and they're all in this, you know, two day tournament or whatever it is. And it's like mind blowing. And the crowd, the, I mean, you see this crowd and, and sold out Ryogoku who's just losing their minds. And I'm just like, whoa, look how they, how much these people respect what these guys are doing. So much of that, like, when they lock up and they exchange a couple of headlocks that the crowd is, right. is clapping, you know, it's a, and it's like, look, and then you, and then I started to read books like dynamite kids book. And, and, and I'm reading about how much, what the real difference between Japanese wrestling, how it's presented, how people look at the wrestlers where as opposed to, uh, you know, in America, you know, they, they, they look down upon them, you know, like for the most part, you know, I mean, it's really changed over the years, but like in the mid nineties, uh, you know, it, wrestling was like, oh, wrestling, you know I mean? Like, even though it was popular as hell, but like, 
for the most part, like mainstream people, they would just kind of look down on wrestlers, right? It's so I mean, stigma. definitely a stigma too. Definitely a stigma, right? So like in, in Japan, it's the complete opposite, you know? It, it really is. It's like, oh, it's a, a thing of like stature to be a wrestler, you know? Like, oh, that guy's a professional wrestler. Everybody in the town wants to hang out with you, you know? So I feel like, I don't know, there's just like the certain respect that went along with it. Obviously, there's like a certain discipline in becoming a professional wrestler there in Japan as well, you know, it, you know, going through a dojo system, you know, it's, you know, two years, you're basically, you can't leave, you know, you're just like, completely focused on what you're you're supposed to do and that's to learn professional wrestling and just kind of the way that the whole system was like i don't know it just felt like people respected it more than anything you know like like so i i I don't know there's something about that whole thing that i i kind of fell in love with and then i started to think like my mind started to change it's like well if, if i could make it in japan and just wrestle there i mean like look at all these great stories like dynamite had and all these people like they've had careers bruiser brody you know um stan hansen you know they had the, these long-time careers i was like well why would i want to leave it sounds like a pretty awesome job you know so then you know fast forward to get the opportunity to wrestle there and work there and you know for, you know for me you know for me, I think, you know, for me, it's like, I love this company, you know, New Japan. I love, you know, I fell in love with it and, and it's my family and it would be hard to, to walk away from it, you know, so, or, or because I love it so much. I love the style. I love the, the wrestlers. Um, I love the people who, who all make it happen. And I'm just like, this is where I want to be, you know? And, and I knew that right off the bat, like that first tour was just like, it was incredible, you know, like just to be in Japan, wrestling you know with all these like great wrestlers in front of these great fans it just felt like ah th- this is where i want to be this is where i want to say if i could make my career here then i'll just do this you know i, like, I don't need anything else right and uh, you know so I, I think like right in the beginning watching those tapes was just kind of the introduction to it you know watching jushin liger watching you know uh black tiger and you know all these guys and it's like oh I, I want to do that. That's what I want to do. That's the type of wrestling I want to do. That's the type of wrestler I want to be. So it's like, there's only so many places at that time you could have done that. Right. And it was like Japan, maybe ECW, right. maybe WCW, but like, I don't know. I was just attracted to it. I, I, that's what I wanted to do. And I didn't realize that that was going to be my life, you know? Right. Well, so. you mentioned black tiger, which obviously people who know your career know that, um, I think it was around 2005, you were chosen to be Black Tiger. And, you know, following in the footsteps of guys like, you know, Eddie Guerrero and uh, Mark Rollerball, uh, Rocco, Silver King. For someone like yourself, who was a fan of New Japan Pro Wrestling, knowing all the history and the prestige and everything else, what was your reaction to like, okay, now you're going to be the fourth Black Tiger? Man, when I got the phone call, I just, I thought that there was a mistake, you know, <laughs> like, 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 I think, are they wrong? Me? Are you talking about me? Wait, this is Rocky. You're not looking for some, oh, you, me? Are you sure? So, um, I mean, that's really what it felt. Cause, cause I, it, it was like confusing. Cause it was like, wait, what? Like, are you sure? Like you talk about those names, Rollerball Rocco, Eddie Guerrero, Silver King. It's like these guys. Are, 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 you know, are guys that, that did it, that really did it. You know, every place that they went, there were stars. Uh, every place that they, you know, 
They could wrestle anybody in, from anywhere, any walk of life, have a great match. I mean, these are the guys that like all the wrestlers are talking about, you know, when you're a wrestler that other wrestlers talk about and, and go like, oh, that guy's good. Oh, that, these are those kind of guys, you know? So to kind of just be like, I don't know. I just, it was like, are you guys sure? You want, are you sure you want me? <laughs> so like, I just feel like, yeah, it was, it was just crazy. It was crazy. And it, it was like a whirlwind because the storyline for Black Tiger 4 was supposed to be the same thing as, as Tiger Mask 4, right? So Tiger Mask 4 is uh, a student of Satoru Sayama, the original Tiger Mask. So they wanted Black Tiger 4. The storyline was that he was going to be the student of Mark Rocco. And now we were going to have a student versus student battle type thing, you know, feud or whatever. So, um, so then I, I had to think like, and, and, oh, well, I can't be Rocky Romero. I can't wrestle as Rocky Romero. So I just started to collect as much video of, of Rocco as I could. And, um, you know, as Black Tiger and before and after, and I just started to mimic and recreate kind of what he did. His, and then, like, not only his moves, because it's not just the way, but, like, the way he ran the ropes, uh, the little things that he would do in between his movements. So, like, for example, as Black Tiger, he would, whatever he would do, and whenever he was, like, say he would snap mirror guy, and the guy he'd pin him, the guy would kick out. As he would get up, I meant the way he'd get up, but then he would always like fix his mask. And I don't know if that was because the mask didn't fit or if the mask, or if that's just what he kind of like nervous tick he did, you know, type thing. So I just started to do that. And then I, I started to look for like little other little tiny things, like the way he would drop an elbow. He would never drop the elbow straight and flat like most people do. He would do it like a, like a slinky. He would just like, like almost like a ball, like bounce off and then stand right back up, you know, almost like a back roll. So, okay. So like, I got to do that. And then he started doing it from the top rope and I was like, okay, got to do it from the top rope like that. Oh, this kind of hurts. <laughs> so I was like, this doesn't feel good. Okay. Well, I gotta, I gotta power through it, you know? So, um, I, I just started to really study all these different things to, because I wanted to, uh, I wanted to do it right, you know, and I wanted to, to take the opportunity that was given to me and do it in the way that it's supposed to be done, you know, like I, I didn't want to be like, Oh, well, that's not me. You know, that's not, it's like, well, now here's a chance to really grow as a wrestler and as a character and as a person, because you really to take on something new. That's, that's not exactly you and bring it to life, you know? So I felt, you know, and then, and then to do it in respect and honor of like a rollerball Rocco, not to make it cheap in any kind of way, you know? So, so I really, made like for three months that's like what i like hardcore like prepped for um and just like like i said just watching tons and tons and tons of video i felt like um like if you know like whatever like will smith uh gonna play uh muhammad ali or something you know like yeah you just he'd, he'd be watching video and video and video and seeing how you know how he speaks his mannerisms these little things and like i felt like that you know like, like I could, I could totally relate to him saying that in interviews, you know, um, cause that's basically what I did. And again, and of course, I mean, the moment was going to be life-changing, right. And it was, you know, completely a life-changing moment because it wasn't like, 
at that time where you probably could say Rocky Romero was a journeyman at that point. Well, now Rocky Romero was going to be like an actual star, you know? Right. And it goes to show just what you talked about with um, how seriously you took it, all the preparation, how you studied that. I mean, that just showed that they did pick the right guy to, 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 to carry on that tradition. So thank you. Yeah. I think that's a, that's a testament and that's, they must've seen that in you, um, you know, beyond the, the obvious talent was that you had the right uh, approach for it. I have to ask you though, obviously, you know, at some point you lose the mask, you're no longer black tiger. Were you sad when it came to an end? No, no, I wasn't because I knew that uh, this was just a step, right? It was the step up. It was the necessary step up because Guerrero couldn't have been black tiger forever. Silver King couldn't have Black Tiger forever and Mark Rocco couldn't have Black Tiger forever. This was just like, um, it was, it was the springboard, right? This is what, how I thought it was going to be the springboard to the next level. Okay. And, um, so then then I feel like this is where it gets, my career gets kind of weird and interesting because I think it would have been like a direct springboard boom, you know, to like really to the next level. And then, uh, there was some political stuff, backstage that kind of uh prevented me maybe from springboarding the way that it was supposed to that it probably could have been you know so then my my career definitely started to take a different route at that moment i went to pro wrestling noah and uh you know i, w- I was glad for, the, for them to take me in i started to refocus myself in 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 ring of honor the no remorse core um and you know i so things just started to change and then I was, I started to really become a tag wrestler again at this moment, instead of maybe getting that singles shot, I think my, my career kind of changed and went in a different route, Right. you know? So uh, I don't know. So it, it's, it's, it's interesting to talk about now for me, you know, and, and I don't feel either way about it. I'm, I'm extremely uh, grateful and happy to have what I have had and, and, and the career that I've had. But, I, but there, of course, you have to think like, oh, if there was no politics aside, if there was no like LA Dojo, New Japan's weirdness, you know, then maybe, maybe I would have been like a, like a Prince Devitt at that time, who was the, the other guy in the dojo at that time, you know, and working on, on New Japan shows frequently, maybe my, my career in life would have gone that route, you know? But he was there in that position, and that's the, the spot that he filled. And when I left New Japan, he was there, and he so he got that opportunity, you know. So um, I don't know. It's interesting. It's kind of it's kind of an interesting w- way to look at it because this was definitely a moment where one of two things were going to happen, and then it just really went a different way, right. more than I thought it would, you know. Uh, and it took me a long time to kind of find myself because that was the first time I got. Uh, ever, you know, kind of, I had to leave the company or, or get released or, or let go, you know, and uh, that was weird, you know, so I, I understood with like what Gallows and Anderson were going through, um, obviously, because it's a weird situation. And then so I had to like, you have all this momentum and then all of a sudden you have to, it like stops and then you have to like re-evaluate everything and it's like, well, what is your next move? I didn't have a talking shop mania, you know, so I was like, I had to I had to, you know, I, 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 the, the one thing I was like, oh, I'm going to go to Noah, which is the competitor that I'm going to do that, you know, to create, uh, you know, some, some buzz around me. 
but also it was like they didn't really have the same they didn't use me the same way that new japan was using me you know as like a top junior heavyweight you know they they put me in the mix but they didn't really they didn't really uh focus around foreign wrestlers they just didn't you know so like i'm in the ring with like kanamaru and kenta and maru fuji but like I'm way, 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 way down the list, you know? Yeah. So, uh, so it's, it's kind of a weird position that I was put in. Yeah. And that's the thing. That's the thing about this wacky business of pro wrestling is that, and, and what makes it different than a quote unquote legitimate sport is it's not just your, your talent and your ability, but yeah, as you mentioned, there's all these backstage politics and things like that, that can really, you know, it could, springboard someone's career or could stall their career you just you just never know and obviously it was it was it was unfortunate that it went that way uh but one other quick black tiger question you got to bring that character to uh ring of honor and face brian danielson in the uh uh, the best of the american super juniors tournament what are your memories um of that because that that must have been a pretty cool thing to do it was cool the whole weekend or that whole night was weird though we were coming from the West coast and there was a huge storm uh, that hit the East coast. And I think this was in um, Asbury park, New Jersey. I want to say, I think that's right. And, and there's just this massive storm. So this was going to be a a mega big event. And all of a sudden, you know, it took a quick turn and then it became like this really weird event because it started really late because of the storm. We basically flew in and I think we arrived as the first, they couldn't they couldn't stall anymore. So as the first match was happening, we we like the West Coast guys all arrived. So we didn't really get like the proper time to like prepare mentally or or physically for it. It was just like get change and like boom. I think you know I wrestled Alex Shelley I think in the first round or something like that, and it was just like right to it, boom. You know what I'm saying? So like it's such it's such a weird thing because it's all was a blur that night. And something that was probably going to be something, a really huge, successful kind of a, a marquee, you know, landmark event, you know, didn't really get to live up to its full potential. Right. You know, so, so it, man, it's a weird, that's a weird event. And I, I was just talking to somebody the other day about it and they were like, oh yeah, we, we didn't know if we should go because we were so excited for it. But then this crazy storm happened. We're like, let's just power through, we'll go. And then it was like, they felt like it was such a disappointment in a way, Yeah, you know, because it, the way it turned out, uh, you know, uh, Kendall Kashin winning the tournament, yep. you know, and, and just like how it all turned out was not the way that I think people expected it. And then just with everything else on top of it. So what a weird, weird event. See, it's like, it's like one of those infamous events, I should say. More yeah. than it's like, like an event, like oh yeah, that was that was awesome. It was like oh yeah, that was that was t- kind of terrible, yeah. <laughs> so, but but yet memorable for maybe a day right, day. right, right. I from what I remember, I I, I remember Danison. I wrestled Danison, and I don't know. I don't even remember really the match to be honest. I remember like I remember giving Alex Shelley one of those Mark Rocco elbows. And right, and he took it like right to the face, and he got split open. Yeah, I I do not remember the match with with Danielson at all. And then I, and then I wrestled Kashin. Is that what happened? Yep. Yeah, then I wrestled Kashin, and then I don't really remember that. But then I remember James Gibson coming to the ring, 
and saying he wasn't supposed to. And he came to the ring and going, the wrong man won this tournament. I just remember that. <laughs> yeah, once again, the politics of wrestling, uh, I think, kind of came into play. Mm-hmm. Uh, hey, one other quick Antonio Noki question. You mentioned how you got to have all these personal moments and stuff. Did you ever ask him about Bad News Bears Go to Japan? The movie that he had No, <laughs> no. But it was like a lore. Like, I think Brandon yeah. Anderson was the first one who brought that up and be like, this was the, the like jokingly one day, like, uh, Inoki was there. And I think he whispered to one of us, we're like, this is the guy that was in Bad News Bears. <laughs> we just kind of all like giggled like one day, like, yeah, all the things uh, he's accomplished in his career. But hey, <laughs> the guy in Bad News Bears go to Japan. <laughs> right. that's Uh, awesome all right well we're gonna take another quick break we'll be back with more with rocky right after this hi i'm quinn mckay the host of ring of honor's weekly youtube show week by week join me every monday the same day as this podcast as we catch up on all the groundbreaking roh news and get some exclusive comments from some of your favorite stars we also have some really great weekly segments like question of the week and my personal favorite the week by week physique Join me every Monday at 1 p.m. on social media and youtube.com slash ring of honor for week by week. All right, we are back on the RH Strong podcast. My guest is Rocky Romero. We're having a great conversation today about his travels all over the world. Uh, but let's, you mentioned earlier about kind of being um, a tag team specialist. You mentioned you sort of hit that fork in the road where your career could have gone one way or the other. Um, Three-time world tag team champion in Ring of Honor. We mentioned it with uh, Ricky Reyes, Davey Richards, um, Alex Kozlov. In New Japan, eight-time co-holder of the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Tag Team titles. According to my research, no one has held the tag team titles more um, than you in New Japan. I guess my question for you is, were you, uh, did you feel like pigeonholed at the, at, into being a tag team wrestler? Was it something that you embraced or like what were your thoughts on kind of becoming known as this tag team specialist um no i didn't feel pigeonholed i i definitely felt i I definitely embraced it especially so like once the the crazy thing is like once i was out of new japan i couldn't wait to get back to new japan really you know like it was like the girlfriend that you you always love you know like that was like your high school sweetheart type thing and i i always wanted to get back so like in 2011 or whatever, when I actually fully, fully came back, I wasn't going to leave, you know? So like I did, I, I just wanted to be there. So, um, so w- when we won the tag titles, myself and, and Davey uh, in new Japan, it just felt, you know, it was just like, okay, great. This is it, you know, but then Davey left. Right. And then we were the champions. We had to give back the belts and then that was it. So then I thought like, Oh, well, maybe this is all going to end now, you know? And, and then that gave the opening for, for uh, Kozlov to come in. And right. then it was just like magic. Then it was like, not only was it, it was, it was cool because it was like our division. It felt like, you know, there was Kushida and Alex Shelley, Kozlov and myself. There were the young bucks. Um, who else was there? Uh, you know, Tiger mask and Liger. So it just felt like this was the division. Right. And it felt, I was proud to have been, to be in that division. You know, there's a, you know, I think, well, no, Paul Goga was just on the outs at that time. But um, I don't know. I just, I very much stepped in was like, 
this was our spot. You know what I'm saying? This was our spot. And to really try to make it good, you know, like we were the guys that were always opening the show in the junior tag title uh, in the junior tag title division. So like, right, we knew that the junior tag title was going to open the show and the IWGP heavyweight title was going to close the show. And those are the, you know, anybody who knows wrestling, those are the two most important spots of the night. Right. So it was like, I was proud to be the, the opener, you know, cause it was like, you're the opener on wrestle kingdom. Like, right. hell yeah. <laughs> you know, like, like, yes, yes. Yeah, of course. So, um, I don't know. It, 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 in, and just like the, the things that Kozlov and, and I were doing, uh, you know, trying to, you know, take Kozlov's crazy ideas and trying to make it work, you know, for, the, for you know, a Japanese audience who's not really uh, used to that. So when, you know, Kozlov would say like, oh, this is a title match, uh, I would like to sing the Russian national anthem. You know, it's like, <laughs> and he tells everybody in Japanese, we teach him to say it. And he has... 5,000 people standing up because they're so polite and so nice that they don't want to like not do it. <laughs> and then he sings this Russian national anthem. And, you know, in, in America, everybody be booing, right? That's what right. we're used to. Right. And that he's, he gets done and everybody's clapping <laughs> and it was terrible. <laughs> so like at that moment, you like, you had to know like, Oh, okay, we're doing something that's fun and different. And uh, yeah, we, you know, we're not Shelly and, and Kushida, we're, you know, where we're like, at that time, probably the, the top junior heavyweights in the world who can do every single technique perfectly and their timing is, you know, is blah, 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 blah. you know, it's like, no, we're not that. So like, we're going to add this flavor that's a little different, you know, and, and, and add some fun to it. And, but we're also going to be like the bad guys, you know, but like, we're the bad guys that everybody likes because they're so ridiculous, you know? So, so that was like a lot of fun. I, I feel like um, just having, you know, obviously with Kozlov and then later with Trent, uh, you know, that was, that was the position. And then, you know, I, and then the Bucks came into the mix. So like really came into the mix and, you know, we basically feuded with them for like, it just felt like we feuded them for like three or four years, three years or whatever it was. And it was just like, I don't know. It just, it, it, it felt good. That was the spot. That was our place. And never felt I never felt pigeonholed uh, by it at all. I uh, I embraced it because I knew that that was the an important factor in the whole grand scheme of things, right? In this whole New Japan world that we're we're that we're trying to present to new fans and, and get them going. It was like this is this is the 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 moment we're going to start it off, you know. And like people are going to we're setting the tone for the night, right. you know. So I feel like uh, I I. I I only felt like after once Trent was gone and Trent uh, went and moved up to heavyweight, then that's when I felt like, Oh, I don't need to do this anymore. Yeah. Like, I don't need to be a tag wrestler anymore. I don't need to win the junior title anymore. Like eight times is enough, you know, at this point it's like, um, I don't need to do that right now. I need to take a break from it. I need to do something else. And that was the introduction to Rapungi 3k. And then all of a sudden, then it wasn't about me. Right. This is like the first time in my career, my career where the focus wasn't on me. I intentionally got bad tights, you know, like I, I dressed down, you know, I was, I was so always known for like these big furry coats and these outlandish things. And like, I completely took my stuff down so that the focus would be on Rapunzel 3k. It would be on show and yo, and I would just be the background character, you know? So I think that that was like the new, I wanted to try. I wanted to, you wanted to be challenged and see if, 
if I could help these guys get to the next level, you know? Right. So, uh, yeah. So, I mean, but I'm, you know, I'm still kind of around the junior tag division in, in that respect, you know, because as a manager, uh, led those guys to, to like three titles, you know, three, right. three championships. So. Right. And, you know, you made a great point. You were part of some incredible, incredibly talented tag divisions in New Japan and Ring of Honor. And like you said, that was an important spot. Uh, whereas in other promotions over the years, at times, the tag titles really were kind of an afterthought and not promoted as a big deal. So, yeah, you definitely were involved in a, a – it was a great spot to be in. I totally get what you're, what you're right. saying. I want to ask you, though – And in Japan, it maybe it, it wasn't like the biggest spot, right? But in the U.S., people were watching and be like, oh, that you know, I think that people – were like, oh, that's the junior tag division. Like, they have a division, you know, right. which I thought yeah. was cool. Right. And like you said, it was great talent, great matches. Uh, but I want to – you mentioned about, you know, being the manager of uh, Rapungi 3K. Um, is that something more uh, that you – do you see yourself transitioning into that role more going forward? Do you see yourself as more of a manager, I guess, on-screen uh, coach behind the scenes? I mean, definitely. Yes. Uh, I'm not, I'm not like, I don't want to like, I did that with, with three K, but I don't want to push myself too far too fast, you know, because you know, I'm not 40 yet. Right. So, you know, or, you know, and, and not even saying, you know, there's a lot of great wrestlers who are wrestling top level at, you know, in the early forties and mid forties. But I, I feel like um, if I push too fast that route, then I will get pigeonholed in that you know, and I don't want to, you know, just yet. I feel like there's plenty of time to, to really focus on that, but um, I need to, I need to take a step back and I need to take opportunities like, you know, the pure title tournament and, and take these, these uh, wrestling opportunities because uh, I don't want to be stuck in that manager role just yet or too fast or just be, you know, stuck in the commentator role uh, too fast because, uh, you know, uh, as I get older, I'm losing time. Right. So it's like, I, I have to use the, I have to pick and choose my, but which is cool. Now I get to actually pick and choose the spots that, that I, you know, the, I want to take if the pure title tournament comes down the, the, the road or the line. And I'm like, okay, well, this is something I definitely should take. You know, if a, you know, managerial position comes up and, you know, there's, there's some young wrestler that they want to manage, but, but on the flip side of that too, it's like, now that I, I proved myself with Show and Yo and how I helped to package them and like really I, I, I did like a, was like a legit manager because I, I, I came up with the name, I came up with the look, I came up with the song. I mean like I really packaged Show and Yo. That was like a lot, you know, I would say 90% of it was my idea, right? So uh, I feel like I could also help some young wrestler, right? Like, like there's a kid called Danny Limelight. His name is Danny Limelight. He wrestles on the new Japan strong show. He's a super talented wrestler, but he doesn't have the right packaging. He doesn't have the right. Uh, there's a lot of stuff that's, that's he's missing where like I could step in and, and help him to, to reach his full potential, you know, and, and help to package him in the right way that it, like, I think people would, uh, be interested in him even more. You know, he's just, he's got all the raw talent. Uh, it just he just needs to be molded a bit. So I feel like, uh, or or maybe he needs to have somebody just to kind of support him. You know, uh, and and I feel like I could still do that. But then I have to be careful because 
I don't want to just be a manager. You know, I, I still want these opportunities. I still want to be IWGP junior uh, heavyweight champion. You know, I, I don't want, I don't want the, the, uh, the history books to just say black tiger was the IWGP junior heavyweight champion. I want him to say Rocky Romero. I want to do it in this era while everybody's watching, you know, um, you know, all, all the years that I put in, like I said, that nobody saw it. I want to do it now, you know? Mm-hmm. So, so, uh, you know, I want to win the pure title. Uh, you know, I want a, a singles, uh, you know, a singles, um, championship and ring of honor. I mean, that'd be amazing to me. You know, I, that's something I'd be super proud of. So, uh, you know, so I got to be careful basically. Yeah. I mean, that was a long spiel to just say, I got to <laughs> be careful. <laughs> well, I mean, getting back to ring of honor for a second, um, you know, you, you made your debut, I think it was back in 2004, and you've been obviously back and forth really for the last 16 years. Um, this is a broad question, but I'm, I'll ask it anyway. Are there any matches that kind of immediately stand out when I say, you know, your Ring of Honor career or anybody that you had particularly good chemistry with? Um, and I know there's a lot, and I know you don't want to slight anybody, but just like first thing that comes to your to your mind. Um. Okay. Uh, well, I could say if I, if I could start at the beginning, the Briscoes, Ricky sure. Reyes and myself against the, against the Briscoes, just a huge, our first night in, we just make this massive impact, you know? Um, and, and that was like something that we could always go back and forth, you know, the whole, uh, you know, group, the Rottweilers all together and just the havoc that was done. And, and just like the craziness between the backstage stuff, and and the stuff that was in front of the camera was just kind of wild because there was a lot of like very interesting things going on. You know, we, we had when Loki joined, uh, when he left. You know, with Homicide. You know, and it was, it was just a really crazy time, but super interesting. Um, you know, also you know getting to wrestle Samoa Joe in a singles match. I get knocked out during the singles match, but somehow finish it. And you know, like that's a, that's a memory that I have. That's that's kind of interesting. Um, even the, like the second night of, so we debuted, I want to say in like St. Paul or something. I think the second night was Chicago and I had a four way match with Nigel McGuinness, Austin Aries and Jimmy Rave. And it's crazy to see how everybody's careers went from there. Right. Like, and, and just like it, it was a, it was a standout match for me cause I, I, I thought I had a hell of a performance and a guy who's supposed to be a tag wrestler, you know? So, like, I think that there was, like, something, you know, for potential as a singles wrestler there, too, you know? Um, what else? Uh, man, we had the series with the Nora Morris Corps. And uh, what was their names? Were they uh, with Matt Cross? And I can't remember their group name. Anyway, Aries, Matt Cross, and um, Eric Stevens. Yep. Yeah, that was a, that was a that was a, a fun feud. And then the, all the couple times that I got to wrestle Danielson was was always fun. You know, when they were they're kind of like standout matches because they were always meant to be extremely different than what everybody else was doing on the card. And there was really only a couple people that Danielson could do that with, and I was like, I was one of them. Maybe me and Samoa. Maybe Nigel, maybe, maybe, but not the way that I think that he, you know, we could really be a, a, as a pure wrestlers, you know, like wrestling out there and doing our thing. Um, 
And then the later years, I mean, the stuff with, with Trent and I against the Bucks, and, you know, like when we did the, the Chaos versus Bullet Club, I think in Toronto, that was a hell of a match. Um, <clears throat> what else? Uh, man, there's been so many moments. Like you said, it's hard to compact 16 years of, of, uh, of memories into, into one conversation. But um, The name that was but, escaping both of us, by the way, was The Resilience. The Resilience. I, that's what it was. Austin Stevens and uh, Austin Aries. That's what it was. Yeah, there was some fun stuff that was done. Um, yeah, I mean, to, uh, one one match for sure was when Kozlov and I uh, won the championships from um, from Bobby and uh, and Kyle. Yep, that was that was from Red Dragon. That was uh, that was a big moment. Let me ask you about the ROH. Um roster now i mean you've been you've again you've been here for so long you've seen peaks and valleys and stuff like that obviously the business is cyclical uh when you look at the roster as it is now um what are your thoughts just in general and then second part of that question is is there anybody in ring of honor that you maybe would like to work with that you haven't gotten the chance to yet so yeah the roster now i think is pretty interesting um I think Brody King is going to be a major, major player. I, I really do think that. And I mean, and, and I'm also a little biased because he did train with me in the beginning quite a bit. But, um, but I just think that we haven't really fully seen his full potential. And, um, and I think he, he's going to go really, really far. I think he's got all the makings of, of all, you know, all the right things. And, and, and right now, Ring of Honor is, little, you know, kind of lacking in some of those big, heavyweight guys you know besides pco um who else do they have there's like a big heavyweight you know kind of ring of honor has always centered around one major heavyweight like you know there was some like i thought samoa joe was that guy and i think that brody king could be that for this generation you know in a way um who else uh i think jonathan gresham is a pretty amazing amazing talent he's so different um just people in this tournament, like Fred Yeti, like he's a guy who's really interesting. Uh, I think if Finley stuck around more, I think Finley definitely should should stick around as much as he can in Ring of Honor. I think it'd be a great platform for him to to really show uh, what kind of performer he can be. Then there's guys like Jay Lethal, who I haven't felt like I've I've spent enough time in the ring with, and somebody who I really really respect as a professional wrestler, and I and I think that man, he is it. You know, when you, when you talk about like a, a world champion and a guy who's got like aura and class and all, you know, the technique, he's, he's the guy, you know, like he really, really is that guy. Uh, and, and just, man, I, I'm a big fan of his. And, and I think that he's just really something special. And, and I feel like Sometimes I feel like he he should get way more credit, yeah. You know than 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 you know because he is fantastic. He really is. He really really is. Um, uh, who else? Uh, and then there's like a lot of new talent that that I don't I don't know as well. But uh, I, I'm obviously they're making waves because obviously the one thing about Ring of Honor is when it comes to new talent they're always a step ahead of everybody else, you know? So, I mean, they really uh, find people and, 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 
you, you, you really start to take notice them once they hit the, you know, the ring of honor stage, somebody I would like to wrestle. Well, for sure. Jay Lethal, I should throw his name out there. I would say Gresham, but man, he feels like he moves too fast and I would just get really tired. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, that would be a tough one. Um, who else, man? What about a guy like Bandito? Have you ever been in the ring with him? Yeah. Oh, I, that's what that's why I actually wanted to say. Yeah, Bandito is phenomenal. Yeah, I have I've I've got to wrestle him a couple times. I wrestled him in the Best Super Junior last year. Uh, you know, he's he's got all he's got the right attitude. He's got the the look. He's got the presence. He can obviously wrestle a little butt off. Like, uh, I mean, he's he's also a guy who I think it was going to be a major star. Uh, in Ring of Honor, uh, you know, one guy who has all the presence and who hits really hard is Roosh. I think he's re- a really interesting guy to watch. Um, of course, Dragon Lee is right up there with him. Um, you know, I, I think Dalton Castle is an amazing wrestler. I, I you know, I, I enjoy every time I get to wrestle with him. Um, I feel like there's some new, new, some new kids on the block though. Hot sauce. Hot sauce. Hot sauce. Yeah. That kid, dude, that kid can go, man. Yeah, absolutely. That kid can go. He was trained the right way. You can tell he was trained the right way, too. You know, one other thing I think that's cool about um, the relationship with Ring of Honor and New Japan is ROH fans get to see guys on excursion, right? Like the guys that come to mind, Jay White did his excursion with Ring of Honor. Uh, Sho and Yo, another example, is that then you see those guys – become these huge stars in new Japan pro wrestling, but you got to see them uh, on these ROH shows kind of honing their craft. I think that's another really cool thing. Like we can say, Hey man, I saw, you know, when Jay White's headlining the Tokyo dome, you'd be like, I saw Jay White in, you know, Dearborn, Michigan when he was still learning and same thing with show and yo. I think that's the excursions are a really cool aspect. I think of new Japan and the relationship there with ring of honor. No, absolutely. Uh, you know, look at a, a guy like Watanabe who, you know, yep. turned into evil. So, um, yeah, no, I, 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 I think you're absolutely right in the fact that the Young Lions system is such a great system for, for multiple reasons. Obviously, for the wrestler to learn in an environment where uh, you're learning what the important, you know, the important parts of wrestling. You're not worrying about your character right off the bat. You're worrying about the in-ring stuff. And the most important part is, you know, the emotional aspect, showing your heart, your fire, um, the will to actually win, right? Um, so I feel like that's the, the only thing you have to worry about in the beginning. And, you ha- and then to really um, wrestle high-level matches with a limited moveset, you know, I mean, I think that that's just, it's brilliant. Uh, and then you take that and then you put that, you know, in the ring and then the actual audience is watching the growth, right? So it's like they're growing up with you, you know, they're watching you as a baby take your first steps. Then, you know, then you're, you're walking, then you're running, then uh, you're leaping, you're diving. You know what I'm saying? They're watching the whole growth and then you go away to college, let's say, and then you come back with this college education, you know, because you went to Ring of Honor and you, you know, you wrestled there for a year or two years or whatever it is. And you come back and then all of a sudden it's like, who's this man? He's all grown up now. You know, so it's like, um, I think it's a really cool system. And like you said, I think it, it could like exactly that, that um, they could say, a fan could say or an, the audience can say like, oh, yeah, I remember seeing Jay White when he was on excursion. 
he was super impressive. I remember that time he, he wrestled uh, like Will Ospreay in New York or whatever it was. And it's like, and then look at him now, like he's main eventing the Tokyo Dome. He just won the IWGP Heavyweight Championship. I'm like, wow, you know, uh, I think it's a really cool part of the system. And I'll, we're lucky to have uh, Ring of Honor be a part of that. And they're so willing to, to take these guys who aren't household names at that time too, you know, like, it, you know, sometimes it's hard for, uh, you know, a company to be like, oh, well, yeah, we, of course we could take Okada, you know, he's a, he's a household name, but you know, here's a guy who's not a household name, but like, yeah, come to our system, learn, you know? And I, I think it's really big of ring of honor to be a part of that and, and host so many guys that have gone through. And like you said, all guys that have been major stars when they, they return back to Japan. Well, Rocky, you've been so generous with your time today, but I, I, before I let you go, I mean, I have to talk to you about your music. I'd be remiss if I didn't do that. Um, I mean, obviously, you've created your own entrance themes. You've recorded some albums. How did you get into making uh, rap and, and hip-hop music? Was, was making music something that you were always interested in? Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I was in choir when I was, like, young. I was in choir for the reasons of getting out of school and work, you know, like, but, uh, but I, uh, you know, but I, I, I did, did definitely, like, fall in love with music and uh it was always a second or third thing down the line because wrestling was always first so really it, you know i was in i was in a punk band when i was a kid but all that stuff was kind of like secondary because wrestling was was such a high priority on the list that i kind of forgot about it and then when i was uh wrestling and living in mexico and wrestling for triple a uh you know all the all the uh the narco wars basically started back up and as wrestlers you know we, we couldn't really wrestle you know we went from wrestling four or five times a week to wrestling maybe once maybe once every two weeks so really i had all this time on my hands and you know i had all this creativeness in me that i couldn't put out because i wouldn't i wasn't wrestling so i couldn't really put it out you know so i uh i, I was listening to people talk about how they they're making music on their laptops now and and the programs that they're using there's this one program called fruity loops fl studio and i was like well i bet you if i learned that i could just at least make some beats you know and check that out i mean it sounds interesting so i you know i downloaded a version of it and uh i started playing around with it and making music so like then every day i would just like i'd work out and then make beats all day long like all day long, all night long. So then I learned a lot, you know, just, just doing that like over the summer. And, uh, and my, the, my neighbor was Mark Jindrak, Marco Corleone. So he would come over and he would, he's a great writer. So he would like write little raps to him. We'd make songs. So we'd like one, in one summer where we weren't hardly wrestling, we, we made probably like 150 songs. And then, uh, and then from there, I mean, it was just like a deep dive, like, cram like just learning how to use this program and and writing music and then uh i couldn't really find anybody to rap or do anything or make you know like lyrics over the over the tracks so then i just decided well if nobody if i can't find anybody else i might as well do it myself so then i really started to write music and uh and write raps and then uh which turned the first song really was um the forever hooligans theme and then that, you know, later than the Rapungi Vice theme. And then that was like such a, a kind of cult classic within the wrestling world that 
it, it kind of sparked like well, I was like well if people like this what if i just make these like two albums so i made the two rapungi albums and then uh and then i, I kind of went away you know kind of went away for a bit and then i was like uh when when show and yo came and we did the rapungi 3k then it was like oh i gotta make a new song so i made them a new song and then i you know wanted to make myself a song and then that just turned into me making like 11 songs all, like I made way more than that, but 11 songs that I released. And then I was like, I'm just going to put them all on, on this thing called Sneaky Style and then uh, and just put it out. And it's been fun. It's been fun to, uh, to, to kind of do something different because, uh, you know, especially if, you know, as the time that I'm doing other stuff, managing and commentating and then wrestling seems kind of secondary for a bit, then it's like I might as well try to use that creative energy for something good and useful. So I feel like the music is kind of good and useful and it's a good way for me to get like a lot of emotions out in some kind of way, you know, and, um, and, you know, and just like a different way to maybe connect with the audience, you know? Sure. I mean, so, I'll be honest with you. I'm, I'm not the biggest fan of rap and hip hop music, but right. once, once you hear that uh, Rapungi Vice theme, you can't get it out of your head. <laughs> I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, we you know what I, and I always like, and I didn't really know this until it actually happened, but like fans would tell me like, oh, we like to play your album or we like to play these songs on our ways to wrestling shows. And then I realized like, oh yeah, I used to do that. When I was, a, you know, a fan coming up, I would play, you know, we would play like the WWF, I think they're like Jacked or something albums or whatever yeah. they were, like, like something like that. I can't remember what they're called, but like I remember they put out volume one then we would listen to the whole album like on the way to the show or whatever. And then when people started telling me that, then I started to really realize like, oh, this is my, this is my niche. Is this my way to, to make music? Cause like I could make, you know, wrestle trap, wrestle, wrestle rap music for people to listen to and get kind of hyped about the shows. I'm like, oh, this is, this is like a fun thing. You know, like this is a thing or they can make a, put the music on a playlist on Spotify and, and you know, and, and play it getting ready and getting pumped for the show. I mean, like, this is really cool. This is like a, this is my little niche, you know? So that's where I'm at. <laughs> that's what well, I'm any, doing. Any plans to release any new music soon as far as a, another album or anything like that? Yeah, I, I have, I have like a, a like a, a, an EP about five or six songs that I've been holding on to that I'm going to probably release maybe in the next 60 to 90 days. I'm not really sure, but, but, um, I, I worked on it during the whole pandemic. It's pretty much done. I just need to do a couple of things to touch it up and then uh, and then release it. But um, I just I haven't found the time to, to kind of get everything together and put the focus on it. But I, but it's something that I that I probably will do in the next like ninety days. I would say. So can you tell? Do you want to tell people uh, where they can find you on social media? How they can have access to your merch, your music, so on. Yeah, find me at, at AzukaRock, A-Z-U-C-A-R-R-O-C on Twitter and Instagram. You can listen to Talk and Shop every Sunday on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Um, the music, find me on Spotify, find me on Apple. Um, uh, what else we got? Uh, RockyRomeroMerch.com, Pro Wrestling Tees, backslash Rocky Romero. And then every Friday night, New Japan Strong on NJPWWorld.com. Every Friday night, 7 p.m. Pacific, 10 p.m. Eastern. And of course, you can find me this week against David Finley for the ROH Pure Title Tournament. First round, going to knock it out of the park and then become your ROH Pure Champion. <laughs> 
All right. And I, fle I flexed for you, but you guys didn't see it. But oh, I flexed okay. for you. Dude. I actually, I felt it. I think I felt yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. Well, here's a, we got a special treat for fans. We're going to say goodbye to Rocky now. Um, and then when we come back, we're going to do a special edition of our 10 questions segment with a friend of Rocky's, uh, very famous, very famous wrestler. You all know who he is. Uh, we'll come back with that right after this. Rocky, thanks again so much. Hey, thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. Tonight, we'll be discussing another very important topic, wrestling in the COVID-19 era. Phone rang and it was someone from uh, Ring of Honor office and they said, look, this is bigger than wrestling. This is a pandemic. Nobody knew exactly what coronavirus was. Ring of Honor was one of the only companies to completely shut down and say no. If there's a virus out there that you can catch just by being within six feet of somebody, imagine wrestling somebody. You're going to be a lot closer than six feet. I have huge, huge fears. I'm scared S-less, to be perfectly frank. ROH Roundtable, now available on youtube.com slash ring of honor. All right, we are back on the ROH Strong Podcast. I want to, once again, it was, uh, thank Rocky Romero. It was great. He was very generous with his time today. And Rocky also hooked us up with a, uh, a friend of his, a uh, special guest, world-famous professional wrestler to do 10 questions with us. He is the legendary Chico El Luchador. Chico, welcome to the show. Uh, yes, uh, thank, thank you for having me. And um, I, I have a, a question. Did you already send the payment? Or is that coming in the mail? Or is uh, it like a, like a wire? I believe how's that, the, uh, how's that happen? Yeah, I believe the office accountants uh, took mm -hmm. care of that. Should, I believe the check's in the mail, to answer your question. The check is in, okay. Okay, let me, let me write that down. Okay, okay. Okay, go ahead. Go, go ahead. I, I guess that's, that's going to work for now. So it, we, we're going to do it. Go ahead. You, okay. you want to ask like uh, some questions? Go ahead. And it is now time for 10 Questions with Kevin. Yeah, I'm going to ask you just, you know, just some fun questions. Like question number one, Chico, uh, what's something that's on your bucket list? A what? Okay, so bucket list is like uh, a goal that you have, uh, something that you want to do before you, you know, kick the bucket. Die, before you die. What's something you'd like to do? Well, you know, Chico has done pretty much everything that a bucket list would have. I mean, I have sky jumped, where you jump out of a plane. I have, uh, you know, a, won the lottery three times. Uh, I have I have uh, won numerous championships and then vacated them all because I I, I cannot do the job unfortunately. Um, so I, I would say maybe there was like a, maybe maybe to 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 be the president of the United States of America in uh, 2028. I will be running, and I hope I will have your uh, your, your support, and uh, and my running mate will be, and I'm going to make this announcement for the first time ever. My running mate will be Triumph the dog. Wow, 
Okay, you heard it here first, folks. We have a we have a scoop. Uh, I don't know if that's legal, uh, but you know maybe you can get on the ballot. We'll, we'll see how that goes. Uh, question number two. We just had Rocky Romero on as a, as a as a guest. What's what's Rocky really like? Uh, you know he's a he's a he's a nice guy because what he does is we he does my merchandise right. He has this this uh, this website called the Rocky Romero Merch Also also the pro wrestling what's it pro slash Rocky Romero and he he sells Chico's merchandise. But you see what a good guy this guy is because normally. Uh, you you would do a business negotiation and and you would get 100% of the profits right but yeah. rocky he give me 125% of the profit and because he he is such a good little mark he 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 does this for chico because he praises me like i am his wrestling god like a like uh, every day, he he's he does the lockup and then the mirror, and he flexes and he he says, "I'm gonna be like Chico." And then he go out and he does his thing and he he tries to be like Chico. But rem- you have to remember this: nobody is quite like Chico el Luchador. Nobody. Oh. It yes. sounds like you're you're taking advantage of Rocky a little bit but because he's such a big mark for you. As, as of course. <laughs> of course, I, I take advantage of all the little marks out there who, who want to give Chico money. You know, if you want an eight by ten, you know, most of these wrestlers they sell for ten dollars. I sell for one hundred twenty-five. <laughs> okay, gee, that's a it's a little steep, but I guess it's. You know, I mean, I mean, is it though? Is it when you are when you are in the presence of a, a great, the greatest luchador of all time? I mean, is it really? You know, well, I mean, I I mean, this interview alone, I mean. You have no idea what the the, our, the Ring of Honor is paying for Chico. I mean, we are talking top dollar here, my friend. Wow. Sure. Okay. Well, go ahead. Ask your question. Go ahead. Ask your question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Question number three. Uh, what scares you? To be honest. Yeah. It's a shoot. Love. Hmm. Afraid Love. to commit. Yeah. Okay. Question number four. Do you have any hidden talents? Anything you're good at that we just don't know about? I mean, it is hard to hide the talent that is Chico El Luchador. So, I mean, I would say I have nothing that is hidden to the public uh, that is talented, so to speak. Okay. All right. Uh, Question number five. What's the largest crowd you've ever wrestled in front of? Oh, that's an easy one. That's an easy one. Uh, well, you know, uh, I, w- I would have to say the first Chico Mania back in Puerto Rico, we had a record crowd of 1 million. Wow. Yes. Wow. But for some reason, the, the after mags did not uh, record this. So, uh, they, 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 it is like the time where, where, uh, how you can say uh, a guy would beat a, a champion like a Ric Flair NWA world title thing and in the hometown then you know Flair put the guy over because Flair is such a brownie like that and let's not talk about the how, the how the time that he he stole the figure four from me and then and they renamed it when I was the figure three and then he named it to the figure four but I don't want to talk about that I, I want to say 
that it wasn't recorded because of there was no internet or something at that time. So so they think that it was like a like a Pontiac Silverdome or like a WrestleMania or or the time that Inoki took the they went to the North Korea and then had the many people like three hundred thousand. I mean, no, it was actually Chico Mania one one million. I mean, I can only imagine the gate for that show. It was a lot of money, more money than you will ever see, my friend. I'm sure. Okay, question number six. In a hypothetical match between yourself and the legendary Mil Maskers, who does the job? Why would you? Are you serious? You know the history that I have with Mil Maskers, and you're going to bring his name? Is he paying you something? No, no, no. I don't. Is know he no paying person. you money for 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 you to 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 come after me like this? Tell me. No, 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 sir. I just, you know, I just. It's a match that you know. I think the fans, you know, clamor for. Like, you know, it's like, uh, you know, this a uh, 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 sports reference for America. You know, it'd be like Barry Bonds and and Babe Ruth. Like, who was who would win a home run contest? This is the way we look at Chico and Mil Maskers. Like, what would? Well, let me let me tell you if that. That son of a gun, if he wants a piece of Chico, he knows what he has to do. He has to lie down. And you know that that Chico is going to get not only Chico's purse, but he's going to get Mill's purse too if he wants the match. He's been calling me out for years, but he never puts the pen to the paper because he knows what he has to do. Lie down, so of course Chico is gonna win. If that's what you want, who's gonna do the job? Mil Mascara is gonna do the job. That's okay. Hmm. Okay, I love to. I love you got me all riled up. Oh, I'm sorry, Chico. I just that's you know I have something we flustered. don't. Flustered. I'm flustered. All right. Well, let me ask you a more uh, fun question. Question number seven. Do you have a celebrity crush? You know, a celebrity that you uh, find attractive. Hmm. Hmm. I would have to say, yes, I do. Uh, but this this all goes back to 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 the number one thing that scares Chico is love. Uh, but I I would have to say, are you familiar with the Teenage Ninja Turtles? Heard of it? Yes. There is a certain reporter that 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 is on that show, and I have a crush on her. Okay. All right, question number eight. Jesse Ventura used to mock Tito Santana by referring to him as Chico. Was this some type of veiled reference to you, do you think? Did did you yeah. have heat with the body? I did have heat with the body. I did not like that he used to call himself the body because I was calling myself Chico, the body, el luchador for many years before Jesse came in and, and and he just he steal my name hmm. and then he thought it was funny to call Tito Chico because it, now everybody gonna think that oh like uh, oh to kind of throw everybody off the fact that that I was Chico the body a luchador can you believe that guy right well I figured and now he's somewhere in Mexico you know, I don't know what he's doing. He's like a, he's got like a, like a, like a, like a aluminum foil hat on his head. And he's like a, you know, 
I don't I don't want to say, you know. You know you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, you li- if you listen to the Joe Rogan, you understand. Yeah, you're like a bit of a conspiracy theorist. Mm, I don't want to say. I know it's a, it's a, I know it's a touchy subject. You know? Yeah. Okay. Like right. a Flip Gordon kind of guy, you know, like a like one of those kind of guys, you know. Yeah, flat earther, I think, right? Yeah. Yeah, the earth is flat. I mean, everybody knows it's a square. <laughs> All right, question number 9. Did anyone ever try to double cross you in the ring for not wanting to do business? Mm. Mm. Yeah. There was a guy. A guy by the name of uh Dwayne. Mm. Dwayne the what's his name? La Roca. Yeah. Dwayne the La Roca. You know, the, the guy, I, I respect him, you know, I respect his family, what they done to the for the professional wrestling business. I mean, they are like the luchadors. They have a, a long history. But uh, there was a time when uh, I, I was wrestling him and we did this, this, this spot where, uh, you know, he was going to hit me with uh, many chair shots, you know. And uh, and my family was there, and he hit me so many times, and 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 I, I wondered to myself like, what is he doing? What is he really doing? You know, is he is he trying to take me out and maybe possibly try to become the new Chico? Like he's gonna make uh, Hollywood movies and become the the number one actor in the world, and then you know, and, and maybe you start a production company, and, and then you know, like. You know, I have a production company. It's called Five Five Dollar Promotions. You know, and uh, you know he he you know something like that. You know, and maybe in like I don't know. I feel like it, it, in another world, maybe like this thing happened. But in this happened. But in this 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 world, it, it did not happen because everybody knows I am the number one actor in the world. Uh, you know, I make billions of dollars every year. Uh, you know, making top level Hollywood blockbuster movies. And uh, and of course, my production company is is doing quite well. Okay. All right. Well, thanks for clearing that up for us, Chico. Uh, all right. We, we've arrived at the final question. Question number ten, probably the most important question. Did you keep the mask on back in the day when servicing the rats? Well, I, I must say that Chico Luchador, he wears this mask. And, and he never takes it off, never. And, and, and it has it has developed a, a certain stink, but this stink, my friend, is is a stink of honor. It, it truly is, you know. And uh, and and I would have to say, yes, I kept that mask on. Okay, well, Chico, um, man, I can't thank you enough for joining us today for ten questions. It was such an honor. I mean, we've done twenty-two episodes of this podcast now. I can honestly say that, you know, we've had some big guests on here, Jay Lethal, the Briscoes. I mean, we even had the actor David Arquette. But, uh, I mean, to have Chico on the show, I mean, wow. I, all I can say is I'm humbled and uh, and You're great. welcome. You're welcome. And it's over. Now this is the final episode of, uh, of this podcast. And you're welcome. I mean, uh, friends, it has been a good run. Uh, but you do not get bigger than Chico, and uh, and it just does not get better than this. So you have to end it. Yeah, well, I don't think we it's can. Just, do- it's done. It's done. Okay. Thank you, uh, everybody, for listening. This guy, what's your name? Uh, Kevin Eck. Kevin Eck. He's Eck. Uh, 
Yeah, he's uh, he did a good job. He he reached the, the the pinnacle, the top of the top when he had Chico Luchador, but he messed up because now where do you go from here? You go down to Dwayne or somebody like a uh, Brett uh, Brett Hartman Hart, you know, or like uh, you know some some jabroni guy like a uh, Rocky Romero or something like that. It's it, you know. This is this is it. So thank you for listening to the final episode. Uh, you are listening to R.H. Strong and uh, you know thank you very much and uh, we, we thank you <laughs>